So before we open it up to the audience, who I'm sure will have some lots of questions, um, I just thought I'd ask you a few questions about your works. Um, I wondered what was the original idea for each of your films, and how close was the final product to the original ideas that you started with? Um, Andres, did you want to um, kick things off? Sure. I went to um, to a BTV last summer, last like last year, mm -hmm. uh, to do a visit uh, to the Malarctic Mine, which is the biggest um, open pit gold mine in Canada, and um, as part of a summer school, Concordia University in Montreal. <coughs> and then there I learned about like all the mining that happens in ABTV in Northern Quebec. Um, and I got to talk to someone about Jutel, which is a real place, abandoned city. Mm -hmm. And then after that visit, I, I don't know, just like felt like I don't know, like my mind started to work on that and just happened. Um, and then I don't know, like I work also in the process, like many parts that I put together were also like kind of filled up well after shooting like the fictional part and then just trying to um, fill up some holes or complementing areas. It's a, it's a really interesting film, and I like that you use different types of footage to tell your story. Did you have that in mind when you started out? Um, how did how did the pieces come together? Yeah, like in the past, I've like done like work mm -hmm. in different mediums, and mm -hmm. also like I like to work analogically. Also, mm -hmm. um, the the part of Africa, it's like glass. It's like also it was not like digitally made versus. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I've like. I like to mix all these formats. Well, you do it very well. Thank you so much. Pixie, um, Pragmatopia is such an interesting idea. I have a feeling that it was kind of like germinating in your mind for quite a while. What was the, how did it come about? What was the original idea? And, and how did it unfold from there? Uh, well, it's, yeah, it's been with me for a long time. Um, it was based on a short story I wrote when I was about 16, I think, nice. which itself was from a dream. <laughs> um, but the the application that I put in when I finally was able to get funding was to make a photo essay. It was supposed to be a photo essay. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I think I just, um, I didn't feel like, I think when you have a production fund and you want to make, a, you have to make something to show for it. And I didn't feel like I had time or space to experiment mm. with the photo essay. We had a, like a two week shooting schedule, it was tight. And, and through conversation with cast and crew, we all decided just to make it a live action fiction. That there was, you know, enough substance there. To... So maybe next time we'll do a photo essay. <laughs> well, I'm really glad you you didn't do a photo essay this time because we got a really amazing film out of that. Um, Mathieu, uh, what was the idea behind Apartment Number Two? Um, I know that uh, you you use different elements. What were some of the things that you looked at, and what what inspired you to create this film, and did it turn out the way that you expected it to? Um, yeah, so I had no plans for this film. Um, Sometimes was, the best things <laughs> without a plan. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was sitting someone's cat that week, and uh, I brought my camera here, and I, the plan was just. Uh, 
film random things and record the sounds and come up with something. Well, it's really beautiful. Um, is that is that uh, a way that you you like you prefer to work spontaneously? Uh, yeah, that was kind of the start of me yeah. working on it. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you for sharing it with us. Um, I wondered, um, as as filmmakers, um, it, with these works or with other works that you've done, um, what is the research process that you carry out? So um, sometimes, uh, you know, or what do you, what are the things that you look at and think about when you're when you're working on a film, um, whether it's something that you create. Um, that day on the spot, or it's something that takes a while to do. Um, Pixie, I know that you uh, you mentioned the hero of uh, the stories or recollections of a Hiroshima survivor in your in your film description. Um, could you tell us a bit more sure. about that? Yeah. I think the main source of research was a book about Chernobyl. Actually, um, it was a. A book called *The Wormwood Forest*, which is written by a Ukrainian American botanist journalist who goes to Ukraine and uh, goes to Chernobyl and discovers that the uh, wildlife, the animals, are actually thriving because there's no human cultivation, there's no hunting. So it was this interesting paradox of like, here's this contaminated area that humans aren't supposed to live in, and yet the wildlife are thriving. And there's a great documentary called *The Babushkas of Chernobyl* as well, which shows the uh, people who refuse to leave their lands, and if, for the most part, I mean, I don't know if they would say that they're thriving. Um, I think thyroid cancer was something that came through a lot of those people, but but they're still, you know, living there. Uh, so that was an inspiration to sort of just take the the nuclear dystopian narrative that we've kind of grown up with and turn it on its head and say, well, well maybe something else could actually come out of it. Uh, but I did also uh, research a bit about Hiroshima and read this one account by a Canadian woman named Setsuko Thurlow, I believe, who's a major anti-nuclear activist, and was really inspired by her um, description of, of living through that bomb, and that's what inspired the monologue that I created for so many characters. Yeah, it's really, you can, you can tell that there's a lot of thought that went into the creation, and all the, the I like the way that you had you know, them go into someone's house and look at the pictures and they, you know, it's a really interesting idea of, 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 you know, like wondering who are the people who lived here and what were their lives like and then what could our lives be like going forward in this new world. Mm -hmm. um, Andres, you, uh, you mentioned Jutel and there's some footage from Jutel in the film. Um, there's also the footage from um, an African uh, nation. Could you tell us a bit about, about the stories behind those footage and some of the research that went into the creation of We Might Have Been Heroes? <coughs> um, when I started to think about the project, I was like, um, uh, like first thinking about money and gold, mm -hmm. and the uh, sometimes the absurdity of these ideas, mm -hmm. like extracting something out of the air to put it <coughs> in a safe. Um, and then all the dynamics that could be like some of the dynamics that are behind that. Um, so, because Jutel was also copper mine, and I was thinking about copper, and then I like I, I just ran into an article about Akbogilashi, which is a real place in Ghana, and is the biggest dump, e dumpster in the world. Um, 
So then I tried to connect these two places, which the connection was copper. Um, so what happened was like I started to do research and try to contact people in Ghana. And I ended up talking to a Mexican photographer that she went to Akbogloshi and took footage. And she was living in New York now. She's living in New York now and I got in touch with her and she gave me the footage and then I worked it out. Um, and then uh, another friend did the, the, the music that is behind that part. Then I went to a BTV like four times already. I mean, there's really far away. Um, and I got in touch with uh, with some with uh, the, the lady that, uh, that talks there, Madame um, And then she happened to have like a treasure because she had like a box full of souvenirs and, and tapes and so many things about Jutel. And her daughter was the last baby that uh, born in Jutel. So for her, it was uh, it still is very like important to do. So yeah, it was a process of like maybe one year of work uh, from the first draft of the script to being able to put all these pieces together. But I guess the, the primary source is like people, right? Like real stories and real people. Yeah, that's what makes the story powerful. Is yeah, other, yeah, real places because we went to Jutel to shoot, which also was like really far away and kind of complicated because of the black flies. <laughs> <laughs> there must have been some some of that experience in, in shooting Pragmatopia. Matteo, you're you're in Pragmatopia. I wonder what you could tell us about uh, what your experience was like um, being on the other side of the camera, being an actor, and uh, what it was like shooting in the woods. Or being in the woods, being <laughs> filmed. <laughs> um, yeah, I, cause this is my first time like acting uh, in a film, um, and before that, as a, a director, I, I remember an actor telling me that they thought the best, the advice they would give a director would be to act in a film so that you know what it's like uh, being on the other side. Um, and I think that's. Really true, really great experience too. Yeah. Uh, what What did you take away from being on the other side of the camera that you might um, put into practice in your in your own uh, films going forward? Like, what What did you learn as in your experience of being on the other side of the camera that you'd like to to adapt to your own <laughs> filmmaking? What did uh, you learn from the brilliant <laughs> secret? <laughs> uh, or, or, yeah, or just anything. Like, what, what, what's it like yeah, being yeah. an actor, uh, you know, shooting on location outdoors? Like, how, how does that feel? Uh, well, I, I really like Pixie's very simple directions and not giving a, a lot of directions. I really like that. Mm. So you get to be more, like, spontaneous, which is something that works really well for you in your art. Um, well, thanks. I, I think I've asked a lot of questions, and I'm sure all of you have some questions. So um, let's open it up. Um, you, sir, you know, with the striped shirt from the neck. Hey, <laughs> My question was for you, actually. Uh, Matthew just touched on it for a second, mm -hmm. but I was wondering, um, yeah, how, how do you like to go about directing your actors? I was wondering if you could talk about your 
workflow, I guess you could say, when, it's, sure. when you're on set with your actors. Okay. Yeah, uh, well, I actually studied acting, too. I studied at Concordia University. Um, and uh, and I, it wasn't for me. I'm not comfortable in front of the camera, usually. So, uh, uh, But so I think, ironically, I feel like that's the area where I need to keep working. I don't think I'm a very good director of actors. Um, I do animation in my other life. So it's like working with uh, things that objects, like in a studio, and where you can kind of control the outcome. But um, despite having studied Stanislavski and all these acting method techniques and have done some, um, I tend to I tend to, to direct them to stay quite subdued so there's not a lot of emotion because I like it when the emotion is sort of below the surface and, and really ambiguous and kind of, uh, but I, and I guess I also take uh, inspiration from, from directors who sort of just turn the camera on and then just see what happens, like let's just see what happens. And, so giving minimal direction and then letting letting the take go quite long to see what will happen if after the instructions run out they they start to do things um, because when from my experience uh, they just have intuition that I couldn't give them you know like so often too they were the crew and the cast was collaborating with me making suggestions as well so well I don't think my character would do that in this scene I think she would say this or he would do this so so there was a dialogue going on as well and I. And I benefited from that. Yeah, that is your question. <laughs> I was wondering if you could talk a bit about the clothing in your film, like both the scene where they try on the clothes they find in the house, and also just the, the clothing that you chose for the other scene, these like really vibrant dresses and that kind of thing that Yeah, well, I, I worked with a costume designer, Joanne Osterman, who may still be here. Yeah, she's in the back there. Um, so, uh, yeah, we were like, okay, well, what are we going to do for this futuristic <coughs> sort of, like, uh, there's, you know, the girls coming from, or the young women coming from, like, a more of a military-type situation, like a militant state or something. Um, uh, so, and we'd seen, we looked, we did some research, we saw some interesting videos of people dancing in the woods, and they were wearing grays and blacks, and so Joanne thought, like, pretty neutral palette for them, and found those army backpacks. Um, and then the idea of in the farmhouse and discovering um, all this clothes, it was like, for me, it was like the characters had been traumatized or had lost a part of their childhood to the experience that they had. And so for them, it's like playing dress up, even though they're people in their early 20s, you know, just sort of becoming children again. And I wanted that contrast. And also, I think, for me too, because this is very much about pa patriarchal regimes, the feminine coming in through the clothing, so the dresses and the flowers, and, and that idea of uh, returning to the feminine, the land, and all that, is part of the whole, the design. <laughs> we were filming in Foymount. People know this is like an old, uh, abandoned, it's a radar base before the satellite era, and it's an amazing highest elevation of I think in Ontario where people actually still live um, and a couple hours west of Ottawa and uh, we were there at the location and the uh, for some reason these guys were just doing um, driving training I think they had a little sign in the window that said driving training and I was like oh my god so we, <laughs> we staged the shot and we had permission we had permission to be on Kids General Store on that property from the from the guy who owned the property. So we were like, okay, well, let's just. I was going to go up to them, and Katrina, the blonde actor, said, no, 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 
do it and then ask for ask forgiveness later. So that's safe, <laughs> which is something I have to learn. So I was like, okay. And so we were on private property, and I was like, they're just driving through a shot. They couldn't even tell our camera was running, right? We just hid the actors in the corner, and then like record, and we just, you know. So that's how that came about. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. Thank you all for coming out this evening, and we hope to see you again tomorrow night, Saturday night, and next Thursday. <laughs>